Hey there, I'm Sasha. I'm a doctor, I'm a mom, and I'm a founder. I believe that women are overwhelmed and exhausted. So I founded a company called Brave Enough. Brave Enough helps thousands of women find clarity, set boundaries, and gain control of their lives. So welcome, sit back, and let's get into the good stuff. In the next several months, we are going to be bringing in some amazing conversations. These are conversations that I recorded with leaders, entrepreneurs, women physicians, lawyers, business leaders, thought leaders, content experts for the summit of 2020. And the conversations were so phenomenal and we received so many amazing feedback. 700 women listened to these conversations and just said, oh my gosh, we want them. We want them more. We want to hear them again. We want to listen again. So much wisdom there that we decided that we would go, we're going to play some of those conversations in the next several months on the Brave Enough show. So If you know a woman in 2020 or 2021, who's like, Hey, I need some encouragement. I need some wisdom. I need some truth bombs. I need some hope. (laughs) Encourage her to listen to the brave enough show. Share that message because here we go with some amazing conversations. I hope you are going to love it. In season three, episode two, we revisit the 2020 brave enough summit and Sasha's amazing talk with Cy Wakeman. It is my honor to have one of our keynote speakers today. She is incredible, and you have no idea how blessed we are to have her. Dear friend of mine, leadership guru, podcaster, New York Times bestselling author, and she's just, she's so many things, and I love that she knows the data, Cy Wakeman, CEO and founder of Reality Based Leadership. Welcome. Thank you. It's fantastic. Anytime I get to see your face, I'm pretty excited. (laughs) So... I have asked you to come on today and just speak truth to us because so many women right now, especially women in healthcare, I think are, are just completely overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed. We are exhausted and we feel like we're, we are in this pit of what is the new normal and we don't have hope. And you and I were talking right before, and it was so interesting because I know that you know you've written No Ego, you've written books on resiliency, you study resiliency, and I want you to share what you've recently learned going through the pandemic about women and how it relates to resiliency. But I want to mention that on my mirror is a post-it note that says, "I love myself, so I ask for help." Ooh, because that's perfect. Because I don't ask for help, and. Yeah it's a way that I harm myself. And my ego has told me this is my superpower. I can do everything. I don't need to ask for help. I'm a strong woman, but it has led me to so many bad places in my life when I haven't asked for help. So I have that affirmation. So I want to, I wanted to share that to kick this off because I know that you've done a ton of research on this. So Mm -hmm. talk to us about what you've discovered during the pandemic. Well, and I love that you've recognized that asking for help is most important, but it's the hardest thing to do because our ego, which is our internal oppressor, we don't need to be oppressed by external forces. We are even helping external forces oppress us by our internal belief systems. Like we don't need anyone to tell us what to do anymore or to overgive or to ask for very little. We're taking care of that. We are even over-functioning in oppression of ourselves. Like we, we don't have to wait for somebody else to do it. But so I love that you're asking for help. 
it's the number one component that we found in resiliency, what separates people who score themselves and others score them highly in resilience from those who don't feel like they're resilient. And it's the ability to ask for help. So interesting work. When I did my research for No Ego, there was a big part of the drama sources, which was lack of accountability. So we went deep into accountability over the last 10 years, and we really put together a, a new definition of accountability that it is about belief or mindset, is the mindset that we can have impact. We are not victims. So that's as simple as accountability is. And then we looked at four factors where we get pretty victim-minded. And one of those factors was resiliency, because as the going gets tough, we ride more and more solo, especially women. We start mm -hmm. um, going, everybody back away. I will take it from here. And it's the worst strategy that we could come upon. It's the worst thing we could decide to do. That's so interesting because that's my go-to. When mm -hmm. all this stuff starts hitting me, I like withdraw and I become like She-Ra. Like I uh -huh. can power through this. I can do this. I have the answers and it always leads me to a place of burning out. I burn out. I just want to yeah. quit. I wanted, I, I, I can't function. I can't engage. I'm emotionally exhausted, but it's my go-to. Why do you think women do that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is if we were taught for whatever reason in our first families that counting on people was a little tricky or that you couldn't really count on people you can only count on yourself. Like if people disappointed you more than the average human, because all, all of you working moms out there are now worried that you're screwing your kids up. No, they need <laughs> disappointment. I'm talking about big disappointments. But we start to um, get these strategies as kids that, you know, my background is a social worker. We get strategies as kids that work for us. We never do the total math on it, but they work for us but there are childlike strategies. We never go back and then look at your strategy to see if that works for you as an adult and if the math, what you get and what you give um, makes sense. And so people go rogue, they go off alone and they overfunction. And the key word here is they go off alone and then end up wondering why they're feeling so lonely. Mm. So when somebody comes to me and they say, I feel really lonely, I'm a pretty simple therapist. I'm like, well, you know, when you do things during crisis, do you do it in a group or alone? And they're like, alone. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, then that might be why you're feeling lonely. Most of this stuff is so obvious, but the ego really colludes it. So we looked at resiliency. And if you ask the average person about resiliency, they would say things like gutting it through, in medicine, I should say. The average person in medicine, when you talk about resilience, they were the ones who um, could do heroics and diving catches, like the things movies are made of that at the last minute, you know, the doctor on house remembers a documentary he saw once on groceries and figures out, you know, some type of poisoning. Like it's these, um, yeah, it's hard, but it's all worth it because I made a diving catch and saved a life. And most of the things we heard words that described resilience, like diving catches, not that girls don't make great diving catches, but that's a pretty male point of reference. Mm. So it was perseverance, stamina, 
um, the ability to like stay the course in spite of barriers, overcoming. I mean, all the words we heard referred to an individual's um, like almost physical characteristics. So you see where this is going when you look mm -hmm. at um, people who identify as male and people who identify as, as female. Resiliency, basically if you aren't resilient, burnt out, exhausted, we just could call that not male. Mm. Right. So we just go not male. Now, I don't want to go too far in this because, you know, we love our kindred brother, but that got me thinking that perhaps we had all this burnout in healthcare and we had all these issues and the pandemic was putting even more on us as women. That got me thinking that maybe the whole take on resiliency is a bit flawed. So let me go back and look at the data when I really looked at the difference in groups. And here's what we found. There's um, three major categories. First category, people are high in resilience, know how their mind works. Mm. So, so very self-aware and self-aware, self-reflective. They, yes. they don't get played by their ego. They don't like when their ego goes, um, Sasha, you should really throw everybody out, take this over, do it alone. They know how their mind works. They just look at that thought and they go, oh my gosh, there's that little girl thought again about kicking everybody out of my room. Let's not do that. Like there's a, a, a difference between the thinker and the observer of the thinking and the observer gets to make a choice whether that sounds like a good strategy. So think of the horror movie where you hear something in the basement, the voice that says, I should go down in the basement and see what that is. Horrible voice to listen to. You should go, hmm, I think that's a bad strategy. Why don't I call 911 and leave the house? Like, it's that piece. So they know how their mind works. They know how the world works. So they stop this argument with reality. But I wish it were different. What's your reality? It's not. Given this reality, now what would you like to choose to do? Most people go, yeah, but I want to talk about if it wasn't this reality. It's like, I know how the world works. You got to quit arguing with reality. It's a, an argument you'll lose like only 100% of the time. So that was one category. <laughs> that was one of the three that they knew. But I find women all the time kill their own resilience because they put so much energy into, you know, um, their, their fantasy world that they wanted to mm -hmm. live in instead mm -hmm. of you know, how many of us have stayed in relationships based on potential and, you know, what we thought we could, you know, right. get them to become. That's the relationship with fantasy where you're just chronically disappointed. Talk about energy draining. You wake up yes. every day and you're just chronically disappointed in life and the human race. Well, Not and don't you think that bad. it's all, right? And don't you think that so many women do that with their, their supervisors as well, or like, I'm going to please this per or, or maybe not even their supervisor or work colleague, like this person will finally give me credit or they will see what I'm doing or they will finally like me when the reality is that maybe that's just not, a, that's never going to happen. And so how do you change your, you know, quit arguing with that fantasy, quit living for that fantasy yes. and accept the reality. You got it. And if I can accept the reality, then I can make grown up choices. So one of the things mm. I see in um, coaching so many females in medicine, especially, but exec females, physician females, is the first place 
that the first mistake maybe that they make is they toggle down an ego and that becomes like childlike fantasy. So the first thing the ego does is corrupts your data. You toggle down and you go, um, you know, but my supervisor should know how hard I worked on that. No, <laughs> they shouldn't. And whether they do or not isn't even your business. What you need to ask you is, do you want to work that hard on that? Like just right. ask you, you should recognize everything I give for advice for other people. I go, maybe I should take that for myself. I should recognize how much time I put into a project I don't care about. Mm -hmm. yes. Right? So yes. anytime yes. you're betrayed, anytime you're betrayed is a sign to look in to see where you betrayed yourself first. So mm. that's like the first category. Second category had to do with relationships and asking for help. So the most resilient people were not the smartest or the most innovative or, you know, just the cool kids. They actually were the ones who were probably the least innovative. They didn't try and figure it out themselves. They were the folks that had the largest um, network of positive relationships. What this means is they're not unilateral. This isn't that you do everything for them. This is a relationship where you have given back and forth and it's bigger than a contact um, on LinkedIn. It's somebody you could actually pick up the phone with and say, I need your help. And you would move to the top of their list because wow. your relationship is that good. Like it's the bat call, the Batman, you know, 911 call. And they ask for help early and often. So when you think about this next component of resilience, it was all about having a network in place right, of not mean girls, a network in place of awesome people who you can be vulnerable with. And it was that your first thought is, I should call for help, right? Right. And those of us in medicine, we, we know this when it comes to patient care. Nobody's like, right. you know what, instead of calling for help, I'll just do advanced life support all by myself, you know, <laughs> on this family member who fell in the hallway. Said no one ever in healthcare, our first thought is like, <laughs> Do what you can to secure and then call for help. Like, right. So we need to call for help. And this is the place I find I can call the audience to really work on. What's the status of your relationships? Because for most women, we starve those relationships. We help others mm. out. But the way we start relationships is we don't ask for help. Mm. And who it's wants so, to be the so person? This is so true. This is who so wants to true. Be that like, person that's always calling for help and can never help back. Yes. And it's so true because even like you and I connected um, right after the pandemic hit over text message, you were in Mexico and I was here and you sent me out of the blue, just a, a, a text. And I was really struggling that day. And I thought, I don't want to be the friend that responds. Like I'm really struggling. I don't want, I don't want Sai to be burdened with my struggle, my call for help. But then I was like, I was so bad. <laughs> I was like, I, I can't lie to Sai. I just can't lie. And I was like, I am not good. I am really struggling. And you sent me like three amazing messages, three paragraphs that I screenshotted and kept in my phone. And I still keep referring back to me that just made me like, they just filled my spirit because they were such truth. It wasn't like, you were like, oh, you'll be fine. Just pick up your bootstraps. You gave me truth. Like, and my ego was firing and you just gave me truth. And I, I can't tell you how much that meant to me 
if I had not asked for help, yeah. I would not, I, where would I be? You know, I was really struggling. And I think it's, it's a sign of, um, it, it's such a sign of strength when you as a woman can are not afraid to say, I'm struggling, I need help. And I, and then you have to be open to receive it. Yep. Yep. And, and that's so key. And when you reached out, lo and behold, I'm seeing in Mexico, not able to get back. If I were in town, I'd be volunteering to like counsel, you know, people on how the disease spreads. Like I would be that girl standing out in front of Nebraska Med volunteering to like, you know, do nasal swabs because I was dying to jump in and help. But the most, I could tell it was the perfect um, way to start helping people because when you ask that question, it's like spirit just opened up and filled me with that answer. And that always, when you're channeling, you always know that this is where you're supposed to be. So, it, and it's important because um, we no longer can even rely on a single person for the solutions to our lives going forward. We've got to become good. It's not even just calling one person, although that was great. It is doing the big crowdsource in life, calling on the network. So I really want mm. to like, a lot of times I'll ask for help for one person and they give us at times their own biased, flawed advice, but they should mm -hmm. not be the person you go to for the answer. They should be the person you go to for a data point. So just like you do a good lit review before you start, just like you, know, you look for best practices, we've got to be better crowdsourcers. And so therefore, when we have like the Brave Enough Network, we can just put it out there and just say, what's your best tip for you know, this? And right. it, it's powerful because then we went a, a level deeper that gets to imposter syndrome. And, and you can hear all this relate. So resilient people did not put their confidence in external, I call them illusions, but realities, okay? Their confidence wasn't like, and I heard this in the pandemic, Sai, I'm just thrown for a loop. I used to know, you know, yesterday I had, I was confident. I knew what was going to happen. I knew, and I might back up. That was the illusion. You never knew what was going to happen but you placed your confidence externally in your ability to either control, fix, or live within your reality. Like you, you used your over-functioning to build your own confidence that you tried to control more of reality than was yours to control. Resilient people place their confidence not in I'm the smartest or um, I know what's happening, the I know, that's not beginner's mind. Beginner's mind is I don't know. They place their confidence not even in themselves solely, but in the group. So here's the difference for confidence for uh, resilient people. They walk into this network and they know they have an awesome contribution to make. They're confident and they bring something awesome to the table. That is only part of one data point of the big crowdsource. And their biggest confidence is together we are genius we will be able to solve this together how does that play into the imposter syndrome if my confidence is based on either i can control reality mm -hmm. or that i know the answer to complex bizarre questions i will always have that ego turn towards me and judge myself internally that i come up short like who wouldn't come up short Right. My confidence is I'm showing up and I got some good stuff I'm working on to bring to the mix. And I'm confident as a team, we are genius. 
there's no mm. imposter syndrome there because I have removed the um, burden that came from expectations that are makings of the ego rather than place my confidence, not on, I know what's coming or I know the answer, but I place my confidence on, I have positioned myself within the amazing group of people who are willing to hold space, bring all of their solutions, we will figure it out. That's very different if you can believe in the human race, which gets to hope, right? If I, right, change, right, if I right. change this, then I can be hopeful even in the pandemic. It's yeah. going to hell in the handbasket. How can I be hopeful? <laughs> oh, you haven't met the people in my network. Right, I'm right. Because we're I love genius. that. And I love it because it, it really moves from a place of um, like what's right in front of you to potential. And I think so many times that's what we as women, we limit our, we have our own limiting beliefs on where we are now, whether it's in our career or relationship, instead of like our potential and where we have the ability to go and where we have the, what we have the ability to um, contribute to our community or whether it's our job. Um, it's so interesting because there's been times during this pandemic that I have actually felt a lot of joy. I know you and I were just talking about this recently, um, but it's almost like the, the expectation right now, whether it's at work or in our family or on social media is that you can't be struggling like, or, or just, you know, really showing up every day and trying to do your best and having joy or working on something that maybe has been revealed. Cause I think there's a lot of internal revealing going on right now in the pandemic as we're, yeah. we're having to stay home and having to really kind of do the internal work. Cause what else are we doing? But you can't also have joy. Like you got to shut that down. Right. And I think I love this message because to me, it's, I don't have to know all the answers. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be a genius. I don't have to, you know, depend on the fact that I knew everything to do in my job pre-COVID and now I don't, to I can have joy in the moment and I can, I can be okay with um, struggling maybe a bit in the morning, but also like showing up and doing my work and being confident in my team. And I love this message. Um, talk to me about like self-aware, the self-awareness and the self-acceptance piece of this, because I know you coach so many leaders and executives like how do you get people to move from everything is bad my workplace is bad my my workplace is toxic to what can you control and work on yourself because i hear this all the time around burnout and resiliency like it's either the system problem or it's a personal problem but it's not that it's i feel like it, it, there's obviously both of those things into play. So talk about that kind of self-acceptance, self, you know, reflection piece that's so important. Absolutely. So first of all, a lot of people are very quick to say, oh, it's the system because we want the, the margin to be very narrow and give too much to the system or it's a personal, they just aren't developing their own skills. And most of the time, the answer is none of it and all of it. I mean, we've all been in research long enough. The answer is all of it and none of it. None of it will determine completely and all of it has an effect, right? And so, you know, this goes back to your awesome book where you, you taught me about how the margin of error for women can be um, so skinny, so thin. Mm -hmm. And 
we women do that to ourselves internally where the margin of error gets thin. So whenever your ego is in charge, you, you will start to see a very narrow path. I have to. There's only one way that I can do this. Um, nothing's flexible either or, right? And so the number one game the ego plays is it narrows your margins. So you see only one thing. I am the victim. I am got, I'm getting cheated. I'm not being taken care of. I, and when you get there, what the ego does is it doesn't show you any place you can have impact. And bizarrely enough, our energy comes from having impact, not from how much work we do. So you disengage and, and, and step back. And then we aren't connected. An energy source is not us. We are the lamp, right? We aren't self-producing in our energy. You unplug the lamp, we burn out. This is about plugging into the energy of the group, of exciting, meaningful work, of passion, of patience. Like That's where the energy is. So the second thing that ego really does is if you want stress, get a future. So the techniques we first looked at are intervention, then reflection that changes your relationship with the moment, and then contemplation that sees how over time you've had this red thread in your life and you're just chipping away and, and working to break up with it, right? So intervention is that, wait a minute, I've gotten really narrow. Um, if you want stress, get a future. What the ego does is it says, yeah, you may have today covered, but I want to torture you. Let's think about when flu season and COVID are here together. And we, um, you know, are trying to prepare our third years for whatever tests they have to take. And we're like, the ego's like, anytime you get confident, the ego's like, oh, well, we just didn't make this impossible enough. And then we start oh worrying gosh, about the future, so right? Yeah. And so what I do a lot to people, I call it come close in, especially like I'm right on the units and they're like, Sai, so we just figured out if you think about January, 2021 and how that's going to work when we we're recruiting the new cohort and we don't have the PPE we need. And they're just like, I just bring them very calmly. I go, okay, everybody come close in. This mm. is huddle for the next case. What do we need to do for yeah. the next 10 minutes? Do you have what you need? If you were to make the best decision possible in the next 30 minutes, what would that be? And then when we get confident, I just take you a little bit into your comfort zone, not all the way out to how we're going to figure this thing out in 2021 with or without vaccines that work. I Like that, right. I don't even know, <laughs> right? Yeah. So self-reflection, the best way to bypass the ego, you cannot rationalize with the ego. If you got someplace rationally, you can't, if you didn't get someplace rationally, rational thinking won't bring you out of it right right like right if yeah. i somehow think i'm a loser i didn't get there rationally so there's no <laughs> amount of like logic that would be like you know is going to get you out of it so what is the ultimate hack is self-reflection because you can't be judging and helping at the same time. You can't be an ego, primitive intelligence, and brain coherence at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. So a quick hack to get from their low self to high self, I call it, is self-reflection. First question I always ask myself, what do I know for sure? Because mm -hmm. reality is never as harsh as the story I've made up about it. Painful things happen. Suffering is optional. And suffering has to do with the story I nurse and nurture and retell. And those of us that work 
in brain science, we know that every time you touch a memory, you change it and you make it for the worse, right? So that's why mm -hmm. those of us in therapy, we wonder if it's helpful to continue to revisit some memories instead of looking at current life trends. So what do I know for sure? That gets me to the truth of it. So what do I know for sure about my micromanaging supervisor who treats me like a child? If I really ask, what do I know for sure? Think about when you wrote your first patient notes and we had to go through there and clean them all up because you had right. motive and subjective and bias right. and we're like you know just clean those up just normal right. like let's right. bring it back down right <laughs> instead of suspect patient lies to me about smoking you know it's like yeah, don't right. put it in there so you bring it down to what do i know for sure micromanaging supervisor um supervisor who prefers more detail than i like to give Mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. that unhooking the ego's grip on your world that's a it's nice so place freeing. to go to work it's, it's not it's, positive it's thinking so but it's so freeing yeah. right it like it it's like releasing the chatter yeah of of totally. all that negative right and like getting clarity and just being able to focus on the task at hand and this is like this is so good what you've been saying because i've even heard or I see somebody share a win right now mid pandemic and people are like, but we, we, we haven't had flu season yet or, but we don't know what's going to happen if, when the second, because that's, we're not in the second surge or, and, and I'm going like, you know, just the other day I was talking about where you and I are both in Nebraska and I was talking about how I'm watching the numbers come down. It's really positive. And someone was like, well, yeah, but have you seen Missouri? And yeah. I'm like, okay, but we're in Nebraska. Like, can yeah. we just have a win? Come close in. Come, come close in. I love that. I love that tactic. What, so, What the ego wants to do is intellectualize your feelings. You're just feeling free-floating anxiety. Just call it that. But the ego wants to intellectualize it and attach it to a thought that makes logical sense about why I'm feeling this way. It just, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, and this is, this is so good because this is what you explain in the book and so many of your courses you have incredible online material and courses i follow you and i i can honestly say that i don't scroll i like scroll and stop and learn something every time and so awesome. i want you to share with the women that are listening because i know they're going to go out i i know several of them are so excited because they've met you but for those of you that have never met Sai, um tell us Sai, where can we find your courses where are you on social media how can they find your books all of that information Perfect. We've made it really simple. At Cy Wakeman, C-Y-W-A-K-E-M-A-N, is all social. And my book, my latest is No Ego. But if you go out to your favorite place to buy books, they're going to show you the list of my publications. Um, and I have a wonderful podcast called No Ego, where every week we do some great, great work together. I would love mm -hmm. to have those connections. I would love to have people be part of my network. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on and giving us such inspiration and wisdom and truth about how we can really stop and not let our ego take control and hijack our amygdala and send us off into these anxiety worlds that we don't need to be in. And, and we can choose joy, right? We can choose that every day. So thank you so much, Cy, for coming on. And You're if you welcome. enjoyed this session, I will see you in the next session. Mm -hmm.